Out music means it's time for another episode of Swing Thoughts. I'm uh, Howard Glassman, along with uh, Tim O'Connor. This is the award-winning golf podcast. Do you think it's possible this is number 50, or are we at 49? Did we have this conversation last time? 5-0, man. Are you sure? Big number. Milestone. Well, look at us. Yeah, we should really have a cake or something. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we should have cake. Uh, brought to you by uh, our longtime friend and sponsor, Taylor Made Golf, the number one driver in golf. And uh, uh, I can tell you, a lot of guys uh, that play at a at every level are using Taylor Made products. As well, of course, we're brought to you by Clublink. There's never been a better time to join Clublink. Tim's at Blue Springs. I'm at Glen Karen. And today, in a couple hours, they will announce that. Uh, I love it. Every men's night, they announce that we're the sponsors. And it makes me giggle a little bit because I think back to you and I having lunch a couple of years ago, sort of just getting to know one another. And all of a sudden, now we're the sponsors of men's nights. Yeah, yeah. And the 50th podcast. That's, that's cool, man. It is cool. Congratulations, sir. And you, too, for putting up with me for that long. And uh, you as well. Although, you know, it's funny. When I think of those lunches we had in the spring of, I want to say 2015. Is that really how, just a couple years ago? Yep. We were meeting at Glen Karen because it's sort of halfway between my place and your place in Guelph. And we just sort of get to know one another. And I was instantly taken by your the depth of your knowledge and passion for this game. And, of course a particular part of the game that you and I like the most, which is the mental side. and Because I think we both believe and still believe that all things in golf spring from your ability or lack thereof to uh, navigate the treacherous mental waters this game presents us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you could have the, the, the greatest golf swing, but if you're if you kind of get hijacked by your thoughts and all the goofy crap that can happen to golfers then um, you're just not going to have as much fun or play as well as you might want to. In the time uh, since we started um, well the time since I met you, you became a certified mental performance coach and just remind people you know, what was that journey? You, you started it was just basically you, you were a big fan of Carl Morse who has been on this program and you got yourself certified. Yeah well certainly uh Carl Morris played a, a big role. I went through his uh, his coaching program, um, and that was, but that was part of a kind of a long journey that started with being a, a total golf nerd, uh, um, you know, an obsessed player who thought everything revolved around having perfect golf mechanics and realizing, hmm, that didn't work, um, and just exploring, you know, the psychology of the game, and I just. And, just was really fascinated by that part and also quite frankly with the work I do with the Mankind Project and becoming a, a facilitator so yeah it's been a, a long interesting journey but I, I do have to say it's been a long interesting journey uh, learning how to you know be you know somewhat proficient at this podcasting thing there are a number of times <laughs> which I remember 
particularly the first half of our journey together doing this stuff, you, you'd sometimes just look at me. I'd say something you, like your shoulders would slump. <laughs> oh, my God. And then afterwards, okay, Tim, we have to have a talk. And I go, oh, my God. And well, I mean, you like, were. I had to learn. I had to learn. <laughs> well, you know, to be fair, um, it was kind of not unfair, but, you know, you you were, you're a, you know, you were a, part-time you've done a few broadcast situations and stuff on the fan but you know you came into a situation with me where i've been doing this you know at a mastery level we'll say for a long time and and i think may i say that you know in the in the 50 episodes actually to be to be honest 54 episodes or three episodes because we did some episodes before we started publishing the podcast where they were just sort of practice shows the tryouts the tryouts and uh, I thought, you know, I would say over the two years or a year and a half we've been doing it, you know, if you look back on how good you've gotten so quickly, I mean, you started off with, uh, you know, like an 18 handicap, and now you're single digits, my brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you, uh, teacher. Well, you know, and I've developed into, uh, you know, golf spiritual leader, which is hysterical considering how, you know, where I came from in terms of my aberrant psychotic behavior. Uh, the the uh, yeah the, oh the stories of of the National Club C not making it past the the ninth hole nine and uh, done the favorite my favorite story I, I do like the fact that each pond at the National is in blessed with one of your wedges <laughs> and but the, my favorite one is because I just can't get this image out of my mind of you grinding speaking of aberrant the misbehaving five iron uh, I could just imagine you like were grinding it down the road. You know, here's what you get for misbehaving. Yeah, the the story. Sparks flying literally and figuratively. <laughs> the story is that I, and this is how psychotic I was, is that I um, I had hit a couple of bad five irons during the round, and I was seething. And instead of letting the kids take my golf clubs, I let them take everything but my five iron. And as I was driving south on uh, Pine Valley Drive, I just opened my car door, and I ground it into the pavement. Now that's uh, that's how far I've come. Um, I think it's interesting the people that you've helped, and you know some of the people have been on our show. You know, I was reminded last week when I was in Moose Jaw, I was in Regina and Moose Jaw, and talking to my friend Mark Albert, who I'll, I'll tell about our little. We had a a thirty six hole match that was so much fun. But he's a big fan of the podcast. I mentioned him last time, and. You know, he reminded me of, you know, some of the round tables that we've had with some of our players and Mike Bondi and Paul Gortner and Rudra and Brad and uh, Tom. And, you know, it's been pretty interesting. Don't forget Ronan. Don't forget Ronan. Ronan, of course, Ronan. Like, it's interesting when you think that we've made a, or we have, the show has made some impact on some of our friends and we've become friends with some of the listeners. And, like, it's been a pretty interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of fun and a lot of great learning for sure, but it's 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 great to just to see uh, the experiences that we've all had and how we've you know really learned from it. That's the key piece: is what what are we learning from all this? You know, and and I think it's funny because you know our friend uh, Richard Zokel is uh, also now doing a little podcast. I think it's about I, I he sent it to me the other day, and I finally listened to it. It's with a guy who used to write about golf here in Toronto, Ian Hutchinson. Is oh, the, uh, Hutch, eh? Yeah, Hutch is the sort of oh. moderator. 
Um, and I think that in a way we influence Zocal in terms of, you know, maybe thinking about doing a, a podcast and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of golf information now that wasn't available, say even a couple of years ago. And a lot of it is podcasting. Yeah. Well, Carl Morris has a podcast now too. Well, there you go. Uh, Tim dot, what is, what I'm, I was going to, I was about to give somebody else's email. It's Tim dot, uh, O'Connor or Tim. Tim at O'ConnorGolf.ca. That's the one. Yeah, and my website is O'ConnorGolf.ca. O'ConnorGolf.ca. And just, just while I'm thinking about it, I put up a, a blog this morning on uh, on Mo, on Mo Norman. And uh, so uh, if you want to check that out, and um, it's connected with uh, with my second edition of The Feeling of Greatness, which we published in July. So there's the... Um, Ernest self-promotion. There we go. Well, and I was going to mention that, too. I'd written it down. So you can check it out at O'ConnorGolf.ca. It's a a little follow-up. Tim's book is available, The Feeling of Greatness, the second edition, or the, uh, what is the term for it, an augmented, some new information in there? I'd say expanded. Expanded. Whatever. You know, it's got a new cover. It's got 43, you know, new stories. Everybody love stories about Mo Norman, so there's 43 of them, most of them never published before, a bunch of new pictures, but about, you know, 100 new pages of stuff. I added a new introduction, and basically, Mo died, so the first book came out in 95, he died in 2004, so there's a lot of things that happened in the last, say, nine, ten years of his life, and explores legacy, so a lot of new stuff. Um, and the middle is largely his history was his history. But, um, you know, beginning and end is a, a lot different. Well, maybe we can touch on that as a, as a beginning to this podcast as we get uh, number 50 on the way after we've spent, uh, you know, some time congratulating one another on how wonderful we are. Uh, in, in the, uh, I had written down uh, this Mo Norman uh, little sort of snippet because what you talk about is the fact that a lot of golfers – but let's back it up. A lot of human beings have feelings of inadequacy and inferiority, but for some reason, golf is the place where all of our foibles are exposed. And, Absolutely. And that's kind of the foundation of your little Mo Norman e-zine or whatever that, you know, he was, he felt less than, and yet he was the best ball striker in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, and I think that plays into why Mo became so good. Because in, in many ways, he didn't have a life outside of golf, but so he was like hyper focused on it. But I think the key piece is that, um, you know, as you were saying, most of us look outside of ourselves for whatever change we want to make, or we feel stuck in our lives. And most of us think that, well, I can't do this. I've been hitting my head against the wall trying to become a better golfer or a better person, and. So I obviously can't do this stuff. You know, I got to look elsewhere. And, and I think that we become really blind to what I call our own goals. And in fact, that's where that's where uh, we have everything we need already. But usually, we're, we're kind of blinded to it. It doesn't mean we, you know, can't do with a little perspective or some outside help. But but most of us are are blind to our own goals. And that was my point. Is that. Isn't it incredible? Mo Norman became the best ever on the planet in history at hitting a golf ball, and he did it you know, by himself. He did it by drawing on his own resources. And yet even he felt 
you know, somewhat inferior, but overcame, you know, by all uh, assessments, a an actual diagnosable, you know, mental condition, whatever it was, whether it was on the continuum of autism or, you know, Asperger's or something. And yet he overcomes that, those feelings to, to work at something, uh, even though he felt a little bit less than, like a lot of us golfers do. Mm-hmm. Mo was like such a complicated guy. And, and like, so in certain situations, in most situations, he felt supremely confident in his golf. But if he got it in his head that somebody, say, was better than him, there was a, a, one of his colleagues in Kitchen was Jerry Kesselring. And Mo could never be Kesselring for years. And then he finally was able to. And the same thing with Newton. Newton just had to look at him a certain way, and he had Mo's number. And, you know, and that probably played a role in why Mo didn't last on the PGA Tour. He played two years, uh, 59 and 60. And, you know, so, some people kind of spoke harshly to him about, you know, he needed to be more professional, needed to take a caddy, stop hitting balls off big tees and whatnot. And he, and he left the tour. I think if, if Mo had more confidence in himself, he, he may have been able to, to handle that and, and keep playing. But again, the complication is, is that it was Mo's sense of, of inferiority, distrust of the world of strangers, that, that drove him to become such a good player. But so it was a really double-edged sword, and that's why I say, in many ways, you know, became the best ever at hitting a golf ball. But in many ways, his life is, was bittersweet. I think there's a good lesson in that, and it's kind of where I want to take this next part of the conversation for people listening and. And there's something about the culture of golf. It's innate. It's part of the the zeitgeist of what we do here in golf is that we never think that we have accomplished enough to have tamed golf. I know there's lots of jokes in golf about, you know, you never you never get it. You just rent it and so forth. Right. But But there's something to be said, I think, with at some point feeling like you have enough skill to play the game at whatever level you're playing it at. And yet... I think one of the most difficult things for me personally has to been to reconcile that I now am good enough to be playing in these competitions. And it's all about different levels. I mean, we'll, we can talk about the Canadian Mid-Am as a level above anything I have played in 20 years. And so, like a lot of people, you know, it was a little bit it was exciting and I thought I was ready for it. But I think there's something about, and I'll, I'll be the guinea pig here, there's something where... I may suspect I'm not quite good enough. And yet, all outside uh, um, influence, uh, that's not the word, but outside sources would tell me that I am, but yet I don't really quite believe it yet. I mean, I believe it at at the club championship level, and I might even believe it at the provincial level. But I got there to Regina last week, and, you know, I'm used to the banners and the roped-off areas and the signs that say players and coaches only and all the hoopla. But, you know, you look around, and there's former um, Canadian tour player Todd Fanning, and then there's, you know, Garrett Rank, who two weeks ago played in the Canadian Open, and then there's so forth and so on. And, you know, you kind of somewhere in you and me, I think, felt like maybe I didn't belong there. What I learned from the experience is that maybe I don't belong in the last group on the last day, but I played with a bunch of people that I should have beaten, 
and and could have easily made the cut if I had just maybe believed a little bit more in myself. Yeah. Well, that's that's the hard part. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we just turn off our brain and just and just play? You know, you have the ability. I mean, we're going to get into it you know, as the podcast goes on about what you're capable of and what you can do. But we our belief systems are just so heavily rooted in you know family of origin stuff. It's stuff we've been carrying our whole lives. So. You know, it's one thing to try and change your golf swing, but to change your perception of yourself and the messages you have, holy cow, that that takes work. Well, and I think it sort of ties in with the work, as you mentioned, with the Mankind Project. One of the things about working with Tim O'Connor, I'll say, you know, versus, you know, other people that I have access to, Paul Doolin and Charles Fitzsimmons, there's a real... And we don't, you know, full disclosure, you know, you and I just talk. We don't really, I'm not really one of your clients, but I'm one of your friends, so I get your the benefit of your perspective. What Tim brings to the table is a real understanding of that, that there's a lot of stories we tell ourselves as men and women, but, you know, in this case, the Mankind Project. There's stories we tell ourselves that are tough to get over. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's the those are the belief systems that are rooted in the things that happen to us generally as kids and growing up and you know traumas and everyone suffers trauma of some kind whether it's and I don't mean just it could be like you know physical abuse mental abuse but also just the way we perceive things and from that we develop stories about ourselves you know unconsciously and we carry those messages and belief systems through our lives so you might you know someone might come up with a story that that you know they're just not trustworthy or whatever you know it couldn't be trusted at four years old and at 44 still carry that story Mm -hmm. story unconsciously and and they unconsciously live it out and so that's why awareness is such a key key part of of this work whether it's golf like golf just a you know what's interesting to me about this stuff is that golf is just what i call the metaphor it's just the thing that we do, um, and you know we we measure ourselves and keep score for God's sakes and all of that. But you know it's you know you could be you know a VP of finance, a, you know a radio host, a guitar player, a human, but all the stuff that happens underneath in our subconscious that's linked to our you know memories or the feelings, all that stuff that's kind of under the hood. That's well, what drives the show. And it's interesting, you know, we can get to the mid-am in a bit, but, uh, you know, let's just pivot, as they say, to, uh, you know, pro golfers like Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth, who have a lifetime of different programming as golfers. Sure, it's easy to say, yeah, they hit it so great. But somewhere along the way, there was a, a nugget of uh, a seed planted in them and other high-level athletes where they just have this belief that they have the ability necessary to play at the highest level. And I think there's something to be learned from that that, you know, certainly for me, uh, I mean, I have a a summer long of experiences that I can now draw on, but those guys, Spieth and DJ Tiger and Jason Day, they have a lifetime of programming that's different than a lot of other humans, where, as you just described, you know, somewhere in their early four, five, and sixes, 
they were taught that they could do anything, and they believed it. Yeah, and, and, and some of them maybe didn't get that, but over time, they start to see that they've had some success. Like, no, there's, make no bones about it. Someone like a Dustin Johnson or a Jordan Spieth, they're cut from a slightly different cloth than, than the rest of us in terms of, like, you particularly look at Dustin Johnson. The guy is, like, pure athlete. Mm-hmm. He, he just, he just, you know, he just swaggers down the fairway and just loose and all that. So everyone who excels at something, you know, they've got a degree of talent, but it's that that ability to to harness it and take advantage of it and be in the right, you know, and given the right conditions, you know, to have parents who encourage you to to be have good coaches, all all that type of thing. And here's the key point: is to start getting your reps in. Um, you know, so Jordan Spieth starts to play golf at, at a pretty good level, I guess, some success. Plays more and more, gets some more success at every level. And you start to build on that and build on that. And, you know, to the point that you can play in front of millions of people. And, you know, they, they know that on TV there's millions more. And they're still able to perform at their best. Yeah, but if I may just jump in. You know, sure. when you say they're, they're special people, maybe... I mean, not maybe, obviously they are, but, you know, somehow the specialness was developed in such a way at a very young age, to your point that a lot of us have programming we buy in about ourselves that we never get rid of. You're absolutely right. But there's also people who, uh, you you can look at all sports and in in all areas of, uh, you know, whether it's business or art, who had terrible, terrible upbringing, but somehow... They've been able to, you know, have those dark nights of the soul, if you will, and look really deep within themselves and see what's gone on. A lot of them go like, "Well, that's this message or belief system I've had. This is a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to change this for sure." And, and and that takes hard, hard work. And, <laughs> By the way, I'm just thinking. So that that day, I ground my five iron into the pavement. That would be a dark night of the soul. That would yeah, be the well, that would be the dark night rises of the soul. <clears throat> yeah. Was, was there a sonar clips that day or anything? I mean, but no, I, I like what I like where you're heading with this. That you know, lots of people overcome programming, and part of the mankind project is to have men look at the programming that they believe. And part of our job here on Swing Thoughts is to you know be a, I think a, to hold up a bit of a mirror to. I know I know a lot of the people that listen to the show. I think it resonates with them on a deeper level than they would have expected from just a show about golf. I mean, we can talk about DJ and, and Spieth and that last couple of holes and the kind of, you know, big boy pants you have to have to sink. First of all, Spieth sinks the putt on 17. That's just what he does. 18-footers oh, eighteen footers on greens, that speed. I know it seems impressive, but I'm here to tell you, it's like a three-footer at your, at your home course. But under the circumstances, amazing. To me... Johnson, the way he played that last hole goes to show you that even the best player, number one guy on the planet, takes his medicine, you know, yeah. doesn't try and hit that shot out of the rough to an, an uh, elevated green that he's got no chance of hitting, takes his lumps, plays the golf course, all that stuff we tell people, and makes a par with an incredible, that was a ridiculous putt he sank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. But he just again. You you give yourself. A, he they gave himself. He gave himself a really good opportunity by taking his medicine, and he made a decision to lay up from a place of kind of like emotional neutrality. 
Yes. Was it, like, it was like, oh, my gosh, here we go. I've, I've screwed this up, or I need to make something happen because Jordan's in the fair. He just made a decision that was based from a kind of what I describe as a place of neutral. Well, no, I, wanna, I, I don't want you to leave that because that's so important. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, on the 72nd hole, playing in front of millions of people, emotionally he said to himself, this is where I am, this is the, what the golf course has given me, and this is the best course of action. Versus a lot of us, a lot of swing thoughters, myself included, have made decisions in the past, whatever is the opposite of emotional neutrality. It's the... You know, I just made a bogey. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And you're, you're living in the future and the past where he was completely present to the circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, he was thus able with that pot. He was just able to get himself in a, in a state where he was just going to give it his best shot. And it happened to go in. If it didn't go in, would that define him as a loser? No, you just you just keep knocking on the door, and sometimes it opens. And it, you know, gosh, what, how did Nat describe that? <laughs> it 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 hit the hole at three o'clock and went in at nine o'clock. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the margin of error was so thin. It's like when we were talking about Justin Thomas. You know, he had that leaner go in, and he chipped in. Does that mean? Does that identify him as the best player on the planet that week? Maybe, but maybe also the ball just happened to go in. But it's that ability to just keep going, give what the golf course gives you sometimes, and just do your best and, and, and accept what happens and roll on with it. And well, you know, let's take Justin Thomas. Yeah, well, let's take it's it's the it's the idea of staying in it long enough for something possibly to happen. And to give you a great. Uh, bit of um, wisdom from uh, young Charles Fitzsimmons, the, uh, getting his Ph.D. in sports psychology. And he was my roommate last week at the Mid-Am. Uh, my opening round was 79, and Charles, I think he started with a uh, 65. Yeah, wow. Well, I think so, he was the leader, right? He was the leader. Although, I was the leader uh, after the uh, first hour and a half. I, I, I teed off at 730. And I was one under through seven, so whatever seven holes takes you, I was leading the tournament, which I reminded him that I was leading before he teed off. My point is, <clears throat> Charles and I were talking about, you know, many, many things. So imagine this. I have a roommate for four nights who is is like you. All we talk about is the mental side of the game, and he's also somebody that I bounce my uh, wonky little game off of. And what we talked about, Maybe not this trip, but imagine this. So Justin Thomas, or anyone who shoots anything, if your average score is 85, then at least three or four shots on either side of 85 are just sheer luck. You know, so Justin Thomas, that thing goes in, a couple other good breaks happen, and your 85 is 82 that day through no real... It's nothing you did, good or bad. You just got a good... You got some good breaks, right? Same with if you shoot... 88 that day because that putt doesn't drop or it didn't hit the tree in the right spot. You can't really the point of Charles is that three shots on either side of your average are just the margin of error. Right. They're just you know the, a gust of wind, uh, a putt that did or didn't drop, uh, a, 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 a shot that careams inbounds as opposed to out of bounds. Three shots on either side is just blind luck. 
And if you give it too much power, then you're not open to, you know, coming back on a first playoff hole like Johnson and hitting it 340 and having a flip wedge in. Because if he was pouting that he, you know, if, you know, a lot of people would have been in his situation and thought, well, there's the tournament, not him. He chipped it out, he got it on the green and gave himself the opportunity to sink that putt. Yeah, and that's all you want to be able to do, I think, golf in life, is give yourself that opportunity. I mean, so say, you know, you don't get the, you're at high school and the, the girl doesn't go on a date with you or in, in a, you don't get the promotion. Does that mean you're a freaking loser? I mean, no, it just didn't happen for you that day, you know? But maybe another day it does, but you just keep doing your best, showing up. And I think the key piece around this is, identification and emotional investment. And when we're really emotionally invested, that is just a roller coaster. And that's really hard to sustain any kind of performance when you're hitting high peaks and, you know, plunging down into valleys. No, I, I, I totally agree. And that's why if you give, that's the point of Charles is that, you know, three shots on either side of your golf average, you can't get too you know, emotionally invested because, yeah, you might have shot 82 and think, oh, now I'm a good golfer, or you shoot 88 and think now I'm a bad golfer, when really it's just breaks either way that have nothing to do with your innate ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, my, my biggest learning in 50 shows or two years of, you know, being on this podcast, and then after 22 years of reading everything I could about this particular subject, my biggest takeaway is to not get emotionally invested on either side of that ledger. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Like you've been talking, I mean, one of the very interesting things is you've got, this has been such a great summer to, uh, for you in terms of competition, see where you're going, is, you know, you, you've said to me a couple of times that now you're able to hit shots and you just don't have that, you know, those great, Lows or you know fits of anger that you used to, you know, um, and you look at really good players um, in all sports and in all ranges of activities. They're able to stay cool. It's not because they have ice in their veins. It's it's because they're able to just kind of you know stay a little bit more present and, and not to live and die with every shot. I remember you saying in one of our earlier podcasts. You had a, a friend who said that he had a putt for a 79, and it was so defining. And, well, that's why that fellow struggles with shooting 79, because <laughs> it means so much. It means so much, exactly. Um, so I, do you want to just take this next segment and talk about uh, – I know a lot of people listening to the podcast were following me at the uh, Canadian Mid-Am last week. It got a lot of nice notes from people. You know, one of the things about doing this show and the Humble and Fred show that I do, and a lot of people know I golf, but, you know, it's nice. I got a bunch of well-wishing or well-wishers the couple days before the tournament started, and then I, after every round, you know, people would check in with me, especially, you know, I started off so well, and I, and I, I think this is, will be a good, you know, bit of learning for the uh, podcast listeners because, you know, I, this will be a good you know, coaching session because it actually happened. I started off great. You know, I start at 7.30 in the morning, and by 8.30 or quarter to nine, I'm one under par through seven holes. I start in the back nine, which is, I think, at the course I played, Wascana. 
maybe the tougher of the two because it's got a um, the 12th hole was a 495 yard par five. They turned into a par four, and we were playing wow. it at about 470. And, you know, it's a big boy golf course. and uh, But there I was. You know, I went through that hole with a par, and I birdied a couple holes, and I made a bogey. And all of a sudden, I'm one under on the uh, 17th tee, my eighth hole of the day. It's a 230-yard par three. And I, I three-putted it to make a double bogey because I, I sort of blew my shot right. And I got on in two, but I had a 40-footer on really fast greens, and no big deal. But from then on, I struggled. I shot uh, two over on the front nine. I go double bogey, bogey. But no big deal. I'm like, I think that's cool, right? On the back nine, it just kind of drifted away, and I ended up shooting uh, 37-42 for 79. Way outside of the cut line. The, my buddy uh, Charles was 65. There was a bunch of guys under par. You know, there's Garrett Rank and Todd Fanning and all these guys. And, you know, I was way outside the cut line. But I still felt fine. You know, I... I it, you know, it's perplexing to me sometimes where I'm doing well now and it will get away from me. Whereas before in tournaments, I would like crap the bed early and then sort of start grinding and finish under par for the rest of the round. But lately, it's been the opposite. I've seeming to got off to good starts and then I don't know what happens. So the next day, I'm in I, that, that day, by the way, I wasn't hitting it great. I was just hitting it okay, but I was putting nicely, and I made a couple of nice putts. The next day, though, I'm on full flush. I know I have to shoot about – I didn't have a number in mind, Tim, but I knew I needed to be around par, somewhere around par. A couple over would have gotten me into – you know, as it turned out, I needed to shoot 73, but I wasn't focused on that. So I go out and play the front nine. We start on the front nine the second day. And I hit eight greens in regulation. I make one birdie, one bogey, and I shoot even par. So the takeaway is, in a national championship setting, I've shot, you know, two over par in one nine holes and even par on the other. Mm. Yeah. And then chaos happened. (laughs) I can only describe it as uh, a strange moment. On the ninth green, I put out on this, this par five, and I see Charles. And Charles is done for the day. And he sees me, and I have this, like, the entire front nine, I just sort of had this feeling of, you know, I'm going to hit it here, I'm going to hit it there, and I was very, very deliberate. And as soon as I saw Charles, my mood kind of immediately lightened. Not that I was in a bad mood, but I was in a mood of, of competition. But I break out of that for a few seconds. I go, hey, Charles. He goes, how's it going? I go, I'm doing great. He goes, don't tell me about it. And I said, Okay. Because he didn't want me to come out of that zone that I right. was in. Yeah. But I, he said, uh, just tell me about it later. Just keep up, you know, you know, stay with your process. And I go, yeah, but I'm even par. And, uh, and we talked about this a lot later. But I think what happened was the acknowledgement in my mind. It's almost like that, you know, the scene. And uh, I just thought of this. You'll love this. You ever see the movie What About Bob? No, unfortunately not. And with Richard Dreyfus and Bill Murray, and Bill Murray's one of his patients. He's a psychiatrist. At some, at one point, he's got a million neuroses, and one of them is being afraid of water. At one point, he straps himself to the mast of a small boat, and he floats by his psychiatrist's lakefront property, yelling, "Look, I'm I'm sailing." <laughs> and that's what it was like for me. It was like I looked and saw my friend, who's a golf psychologist, and went, "Look, I'm even par." <laughs> and then I snap hooked my drive on 10, made a bogey. Next hole, I made a double bogey with a three putt. And as we talked about later, it was almost like I had come out of this zone I was in 
and then the next thing I know, I was starting to press a little bit. So the rest of the round didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but I never gave up. I made a quadruple bogey on one hole through a series of not a bad decision, but it was like it was a par five, as I said, that was really we were it was a par four playing as a par five. And it was one of those greens where I chipped. I was next to the green in three. I chipped over the green, back onto the green. It was a tough uphill putt, a three putted. Anyway, my takeaway from it was I made a, a quadruple bogey and my next two holes were par birdie. So I still was still trying. But, you know, once I got 15 over or whatever it was for the two rounds, I'll be honest with you, a little bit of the error went out of my my spirit and I didn't give up. But I was definitely a little deflated for the last four holes. Um, You know, and so I shot 81. You know, it might have been 78 if I I three putted a couple times on the way in because I was I don't know. I didn't care as much. I knew that my journey was coming to an end. And no matter how much I ground, I wasn't going to be making the cut. And I'll be honest with you, I was disappointed. And it stung a little bit. Sure. Can I I hold you there? Yeah. That's all. um, I'll give you that background for now. No, that's that's cool. So, so yeah, I don't care who you are. You know, we talk about being detached and whatnot. Like, you missing the cut, you know, someone who didn't make, say, you know, a sales quota or what it doesn't get. You're going to be disappointed. You know, because you, you, the reason you compete is because you want to succeed. You want to test yourself, and when you when you don't achieve your goal, that's disappointing. So who would who would deny, deny the you know the your right to feel say sad or, or and, and maybe lose a bit of focus? And for sure, I don't know if that happened, but oh, it did. I definitely lost some focus on the way in. I. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I I saw Charles on eighteen when I was coming up eighteen, and I I was on the green in two. I had like a thirty five foot putt. You know, I three putted it, but I my heart really wasn't in it at that point. I just wanted to get to supper and you know mope a little bit. To tell you the truth, I totally get it. Totally get it. But here's here's what came up for me when you're talking about when you saw Charles is is that you went from this place of of just taking care of business, going along. You know, just in your process, as he said, and you, so when you saw Charles, and what happened for you is you suddenly went from, instead of taking care of, of, of what was happening, you know, be, you know, general awareness of, of what you're doing and all that kind of, you suddenly went to, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. Really different. And when we go to a place of, of how am I doing, there's a tendency to start to thinking like evaluating. Oh, I'm doing this well. I'm doing that well. Just and it's kind of like the um, you know the mouse on the on the wheel. You know, it, it starts to go in the self-referential thinking, and that is generally when we can start to to lose focus on what's happening out there to start being focused internally. And, and, and that's how people can really lose focus. In many ways, is when you go from of of, a, of an awareness of what am I doing to how I'm doing. Oh no, that's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, believe me. You know, on on the first four or five holes, when I was kind of you know really hitting it well, and I was hitting. Like I said I hit eight greens of regulation. The only green I missed, I actually made par on. The only bogey I made was a three putt. So I was in full flush. You know, I was in good form and I was planning well and I was calling every shot. I had this kid catting for me and I started joking around with him. I was in really good spirits because I thought, you know, not just because I'm hitting it well, but I thought this is my I'm at the Canadian mid If I can't enjoy this and what's the point of having gotten here? So 
But I determined on my second day that I was going to really rededicate myself to, you know, uh, what do you call it from when you had your team of slightly not caring, of really being clear about where I wanted to hit it. And I hit, you know, four or five fairways, eight grains, really good uh, control of my mental game. You know, the second hole, I, I blew it way right, but I chipped it back to safety, got it on the green, made the putt for par. So everything was going in a direction. And then all of a sudden... When I came out of that and realized, as you said, from from doing my business to how am I doing, it was um, just enough to get me out of it. And then then when I made a couple of little missteps, and they were mental missteps, I hit the wrong club on ten and made a bogey. I pulled the wrong club on the par three, which is a you know good size par three, and just came up short. You know, just got it on the green and three putted. But they were they were mental miscues. They weren't bad swings. The bad swings were because of the wrong clubs. And then the, even the quadruple bogey. Like, it, when I never gave up. I just got in a very bad situation on an incredibly tough hole. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of my tournament. Now, having said that, what I take away from it is, for two nine-hole periods in the biggest tournament I've played in in two decades, I was able to compete. And the reason I say that is because a few minutes ago we were talking about self not self-belief. And, mm-hmm. and I think what I took away from Regina for me was, you know, maybe I'm better than I give myself credit for sometimes. Because I think sometimes I feel a little bit like a victim versus a competitor. Not that I feel sorry for myself, but I feel like maybe, just maybe I don't belong there. And so just like missing the cut at the Ontario Mid-Am a year ago, when I came back a year later, I was like, I belong here. I'm as good as anybody I need to be to be in this in this competition. Now, I'm not as good as Garrett Rank, but there's only about 10 people on the planet at the amateur level that are. But I was good enough to make the cut in that tournament. I could have easily shot 76-76. Uh, that's what it would have taken. Yeah, and, and that is so much in a nutshell what our podcast is about, is about those little nuggets of learning and understanding where things are. So what you're talking about there is... is that sense of belief. It really doesn't have anything with the quality of your golf swing. So when your game went, you know, when you started to shoot some higher scores in the Canadian Min-Am, it wasn't that you forgot how to swing. It wasn't that you suddenly lost Howard Glassman's, you know, lovely, smooth, you know, golf swing. No, it had to do with what, you know, belief system and, and, your, and how your thinking got a, a little bit derailed and how you didn't get it back on the rails. And, and that's all that can happen. I mean, golf is so incredibly hard, as we've talked about many times, because the 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 margin for error in golf can be so razor thin. You know, you put you, you know in a professional tournament, you can play really well over four days, and somehow you didn't take care of process, and for luck or bad stroke, you lip out on 17, and that can be it. You know, so but it's it's understanding that it's that it's things like your belief and the fact that you now believe that you belong, that's huge. Well, for sure. And, that, and that's part of getting your reps in. You know, you, now you've got reps in at higher level events and you've seen that you can do well. And you know, I think that's, that's what the learning is. Well, and, and I think that that is the takeaway. Whether you uh, prove to yourself that you can finally win your Saturday morning money game, or you can beat uh, someone they never thought you could, I think a lot of it. And I, I'm freely, I'll freely admit that I think part of me, now looking back on the experience, wasn't sure 
until I got there, you know, if I was really good enough to compete at that level, even though, you know, my, you know, my golf coach, Paul Henrik and other people have seen me play recently and they're like, you know, they, they said some pretty nice things, but until you experience it, until I was one under through seven going, well, this is a joke. It's like, I, I do that. I can do this anywhere. I mean, the, the most I should have shot the first day was 76. And really the second day with just a, a little bit more focus and on one less quad, I could have shot 73, 72 easily. But I didn't know that before I put myself in that situation. Right. And so it's highly likely the next time you're in, you know, national, you know, provincial or, or national competitions like that, that you're going to have that much more degree. Like you, like it's increment by increment, we get better at this game. Just, you know, just inch by inch. And so you, you know, you added some key learning and that'll just, you'll just take that forward. Um, dude, I want to get into uh, your post mid-am because <laughs> i think that's where i know it's hilarious <laughs> so i go uh, i go from regina to moose jaw where i'm from on a course i grew up on but that looks nothing like when i played it it's a par 71 that is rated 70.2 or 3 and it slopes only about 125 or 30 so okay i'm giving i'm setting it up that it's not the most difficult course it's certainly not as difficult as wascana in regina but on the day I played Thursday, it was the windiest day of golf I've played in 2017. And that's saying something, because as you know, you and I both play at very, very windy golf courses. So it was playing a very, like, three and four club winds, and the, the holes into the wind were brutal. And, of course, the holes downwind were, you know, easier. But So I go there, and I'm playing with my brother, his friend, and another guy that coached me in hockey, Tim, when I was 16 years old. Cool. So we're having a nice, fun, friendly round, and on the first team, I they're all talking about, you know, what you know, what'd you get? And I said I had a par, but I said you guys, you don't really need to keep my score. And they go, no, no, we will. And I said fine. And I birdied the last hole uh, that day to shoot sixty-seven, which is the lowest round of golf I've ever played in my life. <laughs> now, how how is that possible uh, when I've never shot lower than sixty-eight? And I've never shot lower than 69 in that golf course. And I haven't been in the 60s all year. And yet, that day, I knew I was playing well. And I was just having fun with my brother and his buddies. And uh, I had a six-foot putt in the last hole that just went in the cup. Like, really slow green. So the ball just went in. And when it went in, I thought, well, that's weird. I've never done that before. But it wasn't. But uh, there wasn't cartwheels and uh, fireworks and, and and majorettes and everything. Um, I was pretty excited. I won't lie to you. I sort of fist pumped when it went in. But overall, sure. I was like, I was more sort of uh, curious about how easy it was to do. Yeah, and same guy who shot eighty one. Eighty one the day before. <laughs> and then um, on the weekend, I'll tell you quickly. Uh, there's a, a guy I've referenced on this show and, and the show before, Mark Albert, who was sort of my. Uh, friend and other good junior golfer. I won the junior club championship at Moose Jaw in 1976. He won it in 77, and he and I have been corresponding. He's a huge fan of the show, big supporter of the Tim O'Connor performance coaching uh, model. And he, so we arranged to play uh, a couple rounds together on Saturday and Sunday. And I said, hey, for fun, why don't we have the rubber match of the junior club championship? And this guy can play. He can golf his golf ball, boy. He's a good, good, good scratch golfer. So Saturday, we both uh, don't play very well. I shoot 72, I shoot, and then he shoots 74. But on Sunday, 
I three-putt the last hole from off the green. It's about 30 feet, maybe not even that much. I three-putt the last hole to shoot 67 again. Wow. So in two days, I've shot the lowest rounds of my life, back-to-back almost, you know, with a 72 in between. And I don't know what what bugged me more, shooting 81 in the mid-am. I had a putt for 65. Holy crap. I had a putt for 65, and I gagged it. Because I'll tell you, as I walked up to that green, I thought, wow, I, for the first time that day, I thought, I think I'm, I think I'm five under. All there's I need to how. do. There's, there's the how. There's the how. I said, because <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't 100% sure. Ken Tarling would be proud. I wasn't 100% sure how many yeah. under I was. I knew I was, was going to shoot in the 60s. But I wasn't sure what it was because I couldn't remember. I guess I was detached from the par thinking it was 71 or 72. And then I had the thought, oh, I just need to two-putt this for 66. And I left my yeah. first putt about three and a half or four feet short. As Mark said, another two feet and he would have given it to me. Yeah, but he couldn't. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't give it yeah. to me. Of course not. And I missed it. And I so shot 67. Yeah, so, that, so that's great. And, and so, I, so nothing wrong with thinking, wow, this is for 65. And who would blame you for getting kind of excited or, or whatever happened to you? You know, and, and that happens to every guy. Why do you think every guy who gets in contention his first major on, you know, either the LPGA Tour or PJ Tour usually gags all over themselves because they're just not used to it? You know, and so you were in a place, I'm not sure whether you've had a, you know, putting for 65 before. Well, there's no, nothing sir. wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, if someone called, said you choked, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, your you know, our emotions is because you care so much. Well, that's why you play at such a high level is you care so much. But what's really interesting too is and I'm gonna ask you, what how does your belief system play into that in terms of the ability to play at a certain level at the, the mid am, which you know, I, I think in terms of your uh, experience level and, and all that that's kind of right where, where right where you were. You could have done better for sure, but then you shoot sixty seven <laughs> two days in a row or whatever it was. So talk to me a little bit about the belief system. Well, I think I've already said kind of what I take away from it, which was I wasn't a hundred percent sure until I got to that tournament that I belonged in that tournament, and ironically, missing the cut showed me one of the guys I played with for two days made the cut and I felt like watching him shoot 78 72 was well within my ability uh, level and I guess seeing it like I you know when somebody tells you Howard you're good enough to be there it's great that you think that but it's what I think and so yeah I played a couple of really nice nine hole stretches but as Albert said to me after my second 67, he goes, how could you miss the cut? I said, because this feels completely different than That's that. My point. That's my point. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so the same guy, I mean, again, it comes back to, it it's not, has nothing to do with, I would argue, quality of golf swing or, or anything like that. It's what are the the belief system that, that's at work, you know, in terms of like, that this feeling of, of belonging, the, the messages, most of them unconscious. Well, and, and that's it. I mean, you hit it on the head. It's like it's just this belief system. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, 
you know, there's different levels. You know, some people are comfortable just playing with their friends. And then when they have to play a, a, even a charity scramble with strangers, they sort of lock up a little bit. So, yeah. and you, you know, you're comfortable. You know, I, we, I've, I've watched you play some amazing golf. I was telling uh, Albert about one of my, you know, my favorite Tim O'Connor stories that you were four under and went to your car. But, uh, I mean, I've seen you play a high level of golf with your friend Howard and some of your buddies Ronan. But, you know, you, you've talked about struggling a little bit in the club championship because, you know, you don't play a lot of those competitions. So, for yeah. me, I mean, I locked up a little bit at the Mid-Am, the National Mid-Am, because when things started to unravel a little bit, I started pressing as opposed to just continuing my process. Yeah, you were you were not Dustin Johnson like. No, were. I wasn't. I, and you know the sad, not the sad. The good, the good, the disappointing, stinging thing is, you know, but for pulling a couple of clubs where I, I really mentally broke down a little bit. Not anger, just like looking back on it. If I'd had a, you know, if you were caddying for me, or as Charles said, if he was still caddying for me, I would have made the cut because I might have considered. I mean, I was just too excited. My exactly. going from nine to ten. If I and I said to him, if I it's not his fault, but I, I would do the same if I saw you. I'd be like, O'Connor, look at me, I'm I'm sailing, right? <laughs> exactly. If I hadn't seen him, I would have just gone to the tenth tee and continued in the same mode I was. It was almost yeah. like there was, and I've tried to describe it to him. It was like there was a drumbeat, just steady, steady, steady. Everything was steady. I hit a shot. I'd go and hit it again. I'd go on the green. It was just, I'd, I'd assess what I was going to do. It was though I had this pulse. But when that got interrupted, I couldn't get it back. Right, I get it. But So the next time, however, that happens, you'll have some great learning to draw on, and you'll be able to catch yourself and go, oh, yeah. So rather than react, you'll respond. You know, maybe not. But I will argue that over time, You'll learn, oh, yeah, this is what happens. Can you imagine the first time that a touring pro finds him or herself on TV? What could, you know, that means they're playing well. That's right. Hey, I, hey I'm sailing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bob, I'm on TV. It's the same stuff, but it's all at different levels. So, yeah, like you said, your analogy is perfect. You know, whether it's someone who can play nice casual golf, you know, you know, shooting 85s or so, they're suddenly playing in the cup as they scramble, and they know that the VP of finance is a scratch, mm -hmm. and they lock up. No different than, you know... It's funny you say that. You know, I, I asked Charles. Uh, Charles shot, I think it was it was six. I think it was the lowest score of the tournament. I said, how did you know when you were leading? And he said, because all of a sudden there was a couple of reporters and a bunch of people started following us. Exactly. Um, Tim, thank you for your kind words and uh, great thoughts. Tim's uh, latest uh, e-zine. E-zin? I never had to pronounce it. It's a, I, it's say a, e, I say e-zine because it's like magazine. Yeah, exactly. E-zine's available at O'ConnorGolf.ca. I'm looking at the blog right now. Performance coaching. Sign up with Tim. Make your game better. Find the level at which you're uh, able to expand versus contract, which I... Certainly have proven on, on both levels. You know, I, I definitely contracted on the back nine in the second round. Tim's available for coaching. All right. I just wanted, did your waistline expand on your road trip or anything? Saying, no, actually, it's funny you say that because I, I weighed myself when I got back. Now, you know, I don't drink, but I ate a lot of, uh, you know, 
beef au jus and fries and i <laughs> i i think the i think the stress kind of kept the weight off cuz you know i was like I was buzzing, man. It was so much fun. I will tell you, I wish we had more time. It was so much fun. You know, Golf Canada logos and tents everywhere. And, you know, you're playing with people from all over the country. You know, I got to uh, meet some people from, I went out for dinner one night with a bunch of the young guys, Garrett Rank and Kevin Fawcett and Charles Fitzsimmons, and some of the best players in Canada and a couple guys from the States were there. And it was, it was a great experience. And, I mean, there was lots more than just the golf. You know, Absolutely. I just, I loved it, you know, and I love the hoopla and the, then there was like a reception. I mean, it's all just neat stuff. And, and I, uh, it's more than just, you know, I got to see my family and it was yeah. pretty cool. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Yeah. So you've had a busy summer of golf. Are you back on a kind of a, a more regular schedule with uh, Humble and Fred? Humble uh, and Fred are back uh, Monday through Thursday for the next few weeks, and we're back Monday through Friday toward the end of September. I've got two major tournaments left. I have uh, the historic Willie Park, a tournament yeah. they've been playing in Toronto for 50, 60 years. I have that on Friday this week. Say then hello to Ronan for me. He I will. I'm playing in that, and then I will be playing in the Ontario Senior Better Ball. Just a fun little thing that my buddy Tim Southcott and I play in, but it's a OGA or GAO event. I got invited to the Canadian Senior Am. Nice. I'm, I'm not playing in it because I do have a, a regular job. I need to. I can't take any more weeks off for golf, but it was cool that I got invited. Yeah, that is cool. After that, Timmy, it's just uh, you and me heading into the golf sunset for another season, son. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to get a game in before the snow flies, for sure. Um, I did play uh, a round with uh, Rudra and Tom Lenowitz and uh, Ian Service, who are sort of dual citizens. They're Humble and Fred fans, and they're uh, Swing Thought fans, and uh, it was it was a fun day. Yeah, I saw Tom at Blue Springs uh, last week, and uh, it was fun to see him again. I hadn't seen him for a while. And I saw him and Ronan playing the back tees at Blue Springs. I said, what are you doing back there? You're not good enough. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Tommy, can uh, he hits a long golf ball. He hits it like a uh, grown-up. Uh, Tim yeah, O'Connor. Uh, Tim, what is your uh, email again? Tim at O'ConnorGolf.ca, same as the uh, URL, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And uh, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Check out the podcast, Not Safe for Work, but it is uh, safe for uh, nonsense. Uh, Until next time, people. Don't forget to like our uh, Swing Thoughts on uh, Facebook. Tim puts uh, some stuff up every once in a while there. I do as well. And uh, all the best to you, sir. Yeah, and and folks, subscribe and review and rate our podcast. Yeah, come on. It's free. Coming in out of the rain and hear the jazz.